Resistance, Chapter 7 Kevin felt uneasy. He was sitting at the kitchen table with his parents, and he had just finished his favourite dessert, his mother's homemade apple dumpling. Normally he would polish off a double helping without a second thought, but tonight he was conscious of the family's privilege in getting the superior rations that enabled Mam to bake it. He loved his mother, who was instinctively kind and gentle, yet part of him couldn't help but be critical of her too. She never challenged his father's dealings with the Nazis, never questioned the fact that they were doing better than so many other people. How could she simply ignore anything that was awkward and behave as if all was normal? Since yesterday in the botanics, with, when Roisin had revealed her secret about being Jewish, he had grown ever even more uncomfortable with his father's collaboration. He understood that Dad was in a difficult position, but Roisin had given an urgency to his concerns about how Irish Jews were being treated. Can I, can I ask you a question, Dad? He said now. Of course, answered his father, his tone sympathetic. What's on your mind? Is it true that if you're Jewish, they can take you away, they can just take away your business or your property, and that's legal? Kevin could see that Dad looked troubled, but instead of answering the question, he asked one of his own. What's brought this on, son? Who have you been talking to? Kevin didn't like lying, but he had to protect Roisin. Eh, just some boys in school, he answered. They need to be careful what they say, said his father. And so do you, Kevin, if you're talking to them, added his mother concernedly. It's true then, persisted Kevin. After the occupation, normal Irish law was suspended, explained his father. So it's out of our hands, even if we mightn't like some of the things that are happening. Mightn't like? It's difficult, I admit. It's awful, Dad, taking someone's home or their job because they're a certain race. It's not what we'd choose, Kevin, said Mam. But what can we do? We're an occupied country, son. We don't have any control anymore, said his father. I know you struggle with that. Most Irish people do. But we have to just muddle through as best we can. Try not to think about too much about things you can't control, love, said Mum. You'll only upset yourself. And be really careful who you talk to in school. No one gets away with crossing the Nazis, whatever his a- their age. Do you understand? Kevin recognised that there was no point in arguing any further. Yes, I, I understand, he said. He turned to his mother. Can I be excused, please? Yes, but don't forget to say your grace after meals. Kevin quickly blessed himself and said the prayer, then left the table. His mind was troubled and he collected his fishing gear, thinking that a spell at the water would help him to get his thoughts in order. He stepped out onto Shandon Park. The June evening was still pleasantly warm and he and as he made for the nearby, nearby Royal Canal, he caught the scent of sweet pea from a neighbouring garden. Just as he reached the end of the street and turned the corner, he heard footsteps behind him. Glancing around, he was surprised to see Dennis O'Sullivan briskly moving towards him. 
Something about the bigger boy's demeanour made Kevin feel on edge. But he nodded in greeting. Dennis? Burke, the very boy I wanted. Dennis had said it with a sneer, and Kevin suddenly felt on guard. Although they hadn't yet reached the canal bank, they were out of sight of the houses on Shandon Park. Yes, said Kevin, trying to keep his tone sounding relaxed. Stop for a minute. We need to talk. Kevin wanted to get away, but Dennis was heavier and stronger, and Kevin didn't want to challenge him by refusing to talk. He stopped and lowered his fishing bag. What do we need to talk about? He asked, taking care not to sound aggressive, but also trying not to sound frightened. Your little get-together in the botanics, answered Dennis. What get-together? With Mary Flanagan and Roisin Tierney. It looked very cosy. Kevin realised that Dennis was referring to the meeting at which Roisin had revealed her secret. But there had been nobody around when they had spoken. How on earth had Dennis seen them? What? What are you talking about? He asked, playing for time. Well, isn't that funny, said Dennis with a smirk. That's just what I was going to ask you. What were you talking about? We were, ah, we were just chit-chatting. Dennis's face hardened. Don't lie if you know what's good for you. You were in deep conversation, so spill the beans. Kevin wanted to tell Dennis to mind his own business, but he knew the bigger boy had a vicious streak and that he couldn't afford to provoke him. Kevin could feel his heart thumping, but he tried to keep his voice steady. I don't know why you're so interested, but we were talking about Roshin's aunt, Roshin's aunt being sick. The doctor told her she has asthma. This was pure fiction, but Kevin was determined to divert Dennis from the actual conversation about Roshin's Jewish background. Dennis looked him in the eye, and he couldn't tell whether he had whether or not he had convinced them. Asthma, said Dennis. That must be tough. Yes, it is. But there's worse than asthma, isn't there? More painful things, like having your arm broken. What? Before Kevin knew what was happening, Dennis moved behind him and kneed him in the back. Kevin cried out, dropping his fishing rod, as Dennis grabbed him by the neck while twisting his arm behind his back. Kevin felt a searing pain as his arm was wrenched upwards. Then Dennis's voice was in his ear. Don't treat me like a fool, Burke. Now tell me what you were talking about. Kevin felt an agonising pain from his arm, but he couldn't betray Roisin. You break my arm, he cried. That's right. But I claim it was an accident, that we were just messing. Please, start talking. Kevin felt tears of pain forming in his eyes, but he gritted his teeth. He could never beat Dennis in a fight, but there was one way he might defeat him. If he could take all the pain that Dennis inflicted, but refused to betray his friend, then that would be a victory over the bully. A painful victory, but still a victory. If he could hold out. I said start talking. No. Kevin felt an agonising jolt of pain as Dennis twisted his arm further. Talk. No. I will break your arm. 
Don't think I won't. Then break it, and my father would have you arrested. Kevin's arm throbbed with pain, but Dennis didn't twist it any further, and Kevin prayed that the threat of his influential father might have given the other boy pause, pause for thought. But if not, was he willing to have his arm broken? He had to be. Revealing Roisin's Jewish background could be a death sentence for her. He gritted his teeth, determined to withstand whatever pain he had to. Then suddenly he heard a loud female voice. Pick on someone your own size, Dennis O'Sullivan. To Kevin's huge relief, he felt the pressure being released on his arm, and he swung round to see that his rescuer was Mrs. Maguire, a no-nonsense neighbour who lived on the far side of his road. We were only messing, said Dennis. Just trick acting. I give you trick acting said Mrs. Maguire. Be off home with you now before I give you a clip in the ear. Go on. Dennis hesitated briefly in what Kevin recognised as an attempt to appear uncowed, and then he walked away with a slightly sheepish air. Are you all right, Kevin? Kevin's arm throbbed painfully, but he nodded in gratitude. Yes, I'm okay. Thank you, Mrs. Maguire. Don't mind that pup, she said indicating the retreating Dennis. All the O'Sullivans were bullies, and signs on, nobody likes them. Right. Come on, I'll walk you. I'll walk with you to the canal. I'm out for a stroll. Grand, said Kevin. He picked up his fishing rod and fell into step beside his neighbour. Mrs. Maguire chatted about the weather and the latest film in the Bohemian cinema, and Kevin chatted along. But behind it, his mind was racing. How had Dennis been observing them? And how did he know they were discussing something significant? And underlying it all was a burning anger at what Dennis had subjected him to. Up to now, Kevin been, had been at pains to avoid making an enemy out of Dennis. But it was no good trying to appease a bully. And tonight something had changed. Tonight, Dennis had made an any enemy of him. He didn't know how it would all play out, but he was determined that somehow or other, Dennis O'Sullivan had to get his comeuppance. Consoled by the thought, he walked on through the warm summer evening. What's brown, hairy, and wears sunglasses? asked Roisin. Mary looked up from the stool she was making at arts and crafts in the youth club. I haven't a clue, she said, smiling in anticipation of the answer. A coconut on holidays, said Roisin. There was laughter from the other club members seated nearby, and Mary gave her friend a thumbs up. It was good to see Roisin so relaxed, and Mary reckoned that revealing her secret Jewish background had, made, had been good for her. Mary had been shocked at first by the revelation, but then things began to make sense. Roisin had always been a bit vague about her background and had rarely spoken of how she came to living with her Aunt Nula. Now Mary understood why. Having to be always on guard about her own father's secret life, she appreciated the pressure that Roisin must have been under. Her friend's strong sense of fairness also made more sense now, in light of the massively unfair way that Jews in Ireland and across occupied Europe were being treated. Boys and girls, your attention please, said the club organiser. Mr. Cox, I have some good news. 
Dennis O'Sullivan's won a one-way ticket to China, whispered Kevin. Mary giggled, but tried not to let Mr. Cox see her amusement. It was good, she thought, that Kevin could joke about the bully. Though Mary and Roshin had both been disgusted when Kevin had told them about his run-in with Dennis the previous night. And although Dennis hadn't overheard the conversation in the botanics, the fact that he had somehow observed them was still disturbing. Our summer camp in July has got the go-ahead, said Mr. Cox. Criminal Commissar votes the German officer with responsibility for this area has granted travel permission for our camping trip to County Galway. Mary could feel her hackles rising at the idea of needing Nazi approval to travel in her own country. He's all hard, whispered Roisin sarcastically. Mary responded with a quick grin, despite her annoyance that the Gestapo's control even extended to the operation of youth clubs. Still, it was good news that the camp was going ahead. We'll be spending a full week near Clifton, continued Mr. Cox. So keep saving and don't raid your piggy banks between now and then. I haven't had a piggy bank since I was seven, said Kevin. Still, you know what he means, said Mary. Yes, it's something to look forward to, agreed Roshi. Mr. Cox looked around the room. I have another announcement before we take our break. We're having a collection toward Dennis's one-way ticket, whispered Kevin. Criminal Commissar Votes wishes to remind our members of the, the role of youth in ensuring their parents obey all right regulations, said Mr. Cox, a hint of reluctance in his tone. He knows what he can do in his reminder, whispered Roisin angrily. And there will be a short talk at next week's meeting. A member of the Hitler Youth will tell us of his experiences at their recent rally in Cork. This announcement was met with a silence that pleased Mary. Everyone knew that it was dangerous to show open disrespect to the Nazis. There were too many informers around, but the club members could refuse to show enthusiasm, as was happening now. All right, ten minute break, called out Mr Cox. Let's go outside for a minute. I've something to tell you, suggested Mary. Kevin and Roisin nodded in agreement, then they made for the door. It was a mild June evening and some of the other club members had also stepped out. But Mary and her friends picked a spot far enough away to be able to speak privately. Well, said Roisin. It's about the resistance and the train carrying the prisoners, answered Mary. I couldn't tell you on the way to the club. And Maisie Donnelly tagged down. So what are they going to do? Asked Kevin. This is absolutely top secret, right? Roisin nodded. Of course. They're mounting a rescue, said Mary. It'll be one of the biggest blows struck since the official surrender. They're going to free the prisoners, said Kevin, unable to keep the excitement from his voice. Yes, they're... There may be casualties, but the prisoners will probably die if they're shipped to Germany. So whatever number they can free, their lives saved. God, said Roisin, attacking a train, that's, that's really dangerous. Mary found her stomach tightening at the thought of her own role. But that had to be kept from her friends, or they would want to be involved. And whatever about risking her own life, 
she couldn't take the responsibility of endangering Kevin and Roisin. It is dangerous. But, as Dad said, if we let them send hundreds of Irishmen to their deaths and don't lift a finger, what's the point having the resistance? True, said Roisin. But there'll be reprisals for sure, said Kevin. I mean, this can't be done without some Germans being killed, can it? I suppose not, answered Mary. But it's not our fault if the Nazis murder people afterwards. And either way, Irish people will die. At least this way we can try to save more than get shot in reprisals. Is there anything we can do to help? asked Groshin. Mary shook her head. No, it's all in hand. We've played our part passing on the information. She felt bad at misleading her friends about the fact that she would be playing her own. But sometimes, the less the people knew, the better. Where will they try to rescue them? asked Kevin. Mary hesitated. Her father's rule of thumb was that only those who had to know the details of an operation should be given those details. But Kevin and Roisin were completely trustworthy. And if it wasn't for Kevin, they would never have known the details of the prisoner transfer. Liffey Junction, Mary answered. They planned to make the train stop there late on Monday night. Three days away, said Roisin. That would be a nerve-wracking three days. If only you knew, thought Mary. Yes, she said aloud, trying not to let the depth of her fear show. Nerve-wracking is right. <laughs>